we're, we're still talking about the family. I, we could take 52 weeks and a whole year and talk about the family and still not exhaust this subject. But uh, family matters. Family matters to God, and so family should matter to us. You know, God established the family. And it's been the enemy's, <coughs> excuse me, it's been the enemy's tactic ever since the family was instituted in the Garden of Eden to attack the family, to destroy the family, and to tear down that bond between man and, man and wife that God established in the garden, right? God created Adam, but then God created Eve. And it wasn't because he said, oh, I can do better. You know, that's a joke. You know, the world has a joke. God created Adam, and then he said, oh, I can do better. And then he created Eve. Listen, I used to make those jokes, even in sermons, but the Lord corrected me, and he said, quit, stop, because it's making an excuse. And we have this stereotype of men that we're dumb, we can't do anything, and we had to have somebody to help us or we would be lost. That's not true. Absolutely not true. And I believe that God has called me as a pastor to raise up men, to do their part, to hear from God and be the leader of your family. And so we can't hang on to these uh, jokes that the world thinks is funny, right? God's called us... Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about the gap between the ideal and the real, right? That was a couple of weeks ago, the, the, the sermon, the ideal and the real. Where is that gap between the perfect family and where we actually live today, right? Where that, that gap brings attention in the room because we see even in, in the series, the weekly series on TV, the beaver cleavers and the father knows best and uh, all these ideal families where no problems, everything is wonderful, but then we live way down here. But that gap, guys, no matter how big it is, can only be bridged by the grace of God. God knows where you're at. He knows where we're at. He knows where your family's at. And he wants to pull you up to his ideal for your family. There is a gap, and we have to understand that there's a tension in that gap. And, and sometimes when we get into discussions, heavy discussions, we call it in our family, or, you know, intense fellowship, if you might call that in your family, something always comes out of that. Well, we're just, we, just, we just suck as a family. You know, people say, oh, the pastor used a, a really tough word. But listen, when you get into... A discussion and things start flying out, you talk tough too, right? Don't, uh, everybody's sitting there looking real sanctimoniously. <laughs> Just smile. It's okay. It's going to be all right. But the devil bombards your thoughts and your minds with you. You'll never get it right. You're, you're on a scale of one to 10. You're probably a negative two. And he tries to convince you that you'll never get it right. There's no possibility that you could ever be anywhere up to, to a four or a five on that scale uh, between zero and ten as an ideal family. The enemy tries to shame us into thinking just because we don't have the perfect family that we'll never make it, we'll never grow, and that is a lie. You're not a loser just because you're having problems. And the second point that we want to see is that the, the world tries to get us to settle for less than God's best. God says, this is my ideal. My ideal is that 
your family be filled with peace, that it be a place that you want to go home to, not dread going home to, right? And so God has his ideal, but then the devil tries to convince us and the world tries to convince us that we need to bring our ideal down here. You know, surely we can't live in what God wants us to live in, and somehow we should just realize that there's no perfect family, and we should just abandon the idea and, and just say, you know, the ideal family is impossible. You know, the world says if you're having fights and your kids are rebellious and you're thinking about divorce, then that's just normal. They say, that's just normal. So what the world is saying is, go ahead and just bring the, God's standard and his ideal down to, to uh, s- some attainable level. But listen, uh, we're called to grow and we're called to go higher. This, this mindset of everyone is okay where they're at is pervading our society. It started 20 years ago when they started handing out achievement awards for participation trophies. You get a trophy for participating. Now, I'm going to clear it up here in just a second, but when was it just okay to participate, you know? Your participation guarantees that you get a trophy. You know, and I understand we live in a highly competitive society, and I'm not saying that the other extreme is true, is good either where we're so competitive that we think the only ones that worth, are worth anything is, are, are uh, first place, right? But God has a standard, and that's the point, guys. God has a standard, and we, we don't have to lower our standard just because the world says, you know, don't expect anything. Just be normal. Surely, surely, being normal means being divorced four times and, you know just being shipwrecked. No, God wants us to grow. God has given us His grace to bridge that gap. And what I want us to see more than anything else is God meets us where we are. He doesn't expect you to be further along than where you are right now. He meets you where you are. God loves you like you are, but He has given you His grace to to grow you up to where He wants you to be. And so he gives us this grace to bridge the gap in our life. He loves you just where you are. If you're at the halfway mark in your life, there's grace for the rest of your life, right? You you can't look back. If you're at the three-quarter mark of your life, there's grace. And God's grace is so much greater than the first three-quarters of your life, right? Think about as Jesus is hanging there on the cross... On either side of him, there were, there were a, a, a thief. There was a thief. And there was a, ra- a, a, a murderer. Uh, there, were, there were people hanging beside him that were one day away from their final eternity. And that day, Jesus promised the one that was one day away because he believed in Jesus. Jesus gave him the grace to be with, with him eternally in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus meets us where we are, and he gives us grace. Grace. Grace is the empowerment from failing. He gives us power not to fail. That's a, a good definition of grace. Mercy, God's mercy, 
is his love toward us so that we don't get what we deserve, which is death and eternity without God. God's grace, on the other hand, is his empowerment, his ability toward us that we don't deserve, right? That we couldn't earn. And so his grace is great. His grace is great for your family. His grace is great for you individually. And he wants you to take Take hold of his grace today. Sub, let's talk about submission. The next point in your, in your notes there. Submission. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. Guys, families are on the line today. Families are on the line and we see families reconciled Ephesians 5:22 says Sub- wives submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body of which he is the savior now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And then Paul, through the Holy Spirit, addresses children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Then another instruction to fathers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here is the instruction of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul to the church. Very important for us today. Because this hasn't changed. And the word is still true and it's still real. And it's what uh, the Lord wants us to operate in in our families. So, he's talking to everyone in the family. I was counseling with someone one time. And it, it was a husband. I'll just say that. And he was going down the list. And he came to this verse, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Obey them in everything. And he says, my wife, she doesn't submit to me. I said, let's go to this word and let's talk about it. So I got him to see with his eyes as I was leading him through. And he, we read, wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands. And I said, stop right there. Are you the wife? 
are you the husband? And he was shocked. Why would I ask him if he's the wife? I could see it on his face. And I said, hey, that's for your wife. That's not for you. Let's read the scriptures that have to do with you. In other words, you take your eyes off of the other person and you be concerned with yourself. You don't need to measure your mate. Let God deal with your mate by what he said to your mate. You need to deal with yourself by what God said to you, right? And so that, <coughs> that helps us, helps me. Every time I start thinking, well, wow, what about my needs? What about my right? What about, no, and God says, what about you, right? So it puts it back in perspective. Think about um, Peter and John when they were walking with Jesus. After the resurrection, Jesus is talking with Peter and John. He's, he, he explains to them uh, what to do. And uh, Peter was, you know, was challenged with denying Christ. And he was, he was thinking in his mind he was going to go back to fishing. And so when Peter was back fishing in the Sea of Galilee, Jesus showed up. And he helps Peter and John. Um, and so these guys have this huge catch of fish, and Jesus starts talking to Peter. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times he says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? There's a, G there's a reason that Jesus did that, because Peter ju had just denied Jesus three times. Right? And so Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Because he's, given Peter, he's giving Peter the chance publicly to get back on track and to admit to everyone that he's following Christ now and to admit his, his fault. I you know, hey, I blew it and I'm back with Jesus and I'm following Jesus and I'm back on track and I love the Lord. And then Jesus tells Peter, you're going to live to be an old age and you're going to be an old man. In fact, you're going to be so old that you won't, you won't be able to even dress yourself. And that's when you're going to die. And so Peter, here's, he, he hears this, and then he turns around and says, but what about that guy? And Jesus said, hey, basically, his response to Peter was, don't worry about that guy. He was talking about John. Jesus was talking about John. So Jesus was saying to Peter, mind your own business, right? And so the Lord wants us to mind our own business. Make sure that you're doing what the Lord's called you to do. Submission is to submit means to defer or to put yourself in another person's place. To acknowledge is another synonym of the word submit. Submit is a word that the world wants to reject because we're so focused in our culture on me. It's all about me. My life matters. And so I don't have to answer to anyone, right? 
But when you submit and when you defer to someone else, when you acknowledge someone else, you start with your mind. You submit in your mind. And you submit with your will. It, it, it uh, requires a choice to think about other people inst- instead of yourself. And your choice to think about someone else instead of yourself affects the attitude of your heart. You can tell when someone is submitted to others around them. They are sensitive and conscious and they have an attitude of respect and deference to defer to someone. You have to make a conscious decision. And so this decision to submit to other people is uh, a decision that affects the attitude of your heart. It affects the attitude of the heart. And people can sense that. Submission also means to leverage your power, your time, your influence, your strength, your assets, and all of your resources for another person's benefit. To leverage everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that you hope to have for the benefit of somebody else. Think about what Jesus did for us. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself of his glory. He left his glory in heaven and he was born as a baby on this earth. He took on flesh. He had feelings of he was tired, he was cold. He, he, was, he had uh, things come to his mind like he was touched with the feeling of our, of our weaknesses, our infirmities. Jesus left glory, became a man so that he could use all of his time, all of his resources, everything he had, his power, his strength for us. He submitted ultimately to his Father's will so that he could raise us up and seat us together with him in heavenly places. But I want you to see that it took this huge act of submission, submission, a humbling. He had to acknowledge. He had to look at us in 2018 and say, what do, what do these people that I created, what do they need? They need salvation. They need eternal life. How, how, how do we do this, Father? Right? Even up into the garden, he said, Father, if this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless, nevertheless, not, not my will, but what do you want? What do you want? At the end of his life, remember, Jesus was not about himself. He submitted. At the end of his life, he's having a meal with his disciples, those that are intimately close with him. And what does he do? Here's, here's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King of glory, to which every knee and every, tongue, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess in that day, in the future. But what's the King of glory doing that night? He bowed his knee. He took his robe off. He washed their feet. He dried their feet. Dirty, smelly, stinky feet. Right? 
I don't know that we had the whole picture. I don't know that we had the accurate picture of what Jesus did for us by taking off his glory, by bending his knee and serving humanity, that act of submission that changed our life. And listen, we, we naturally, in, in our natural mind, we don't like to submit because we think that in our mind, we think that it makes us less of a person, that a servant is somehow less of a person. But that's not true. We went to eat dinner the other night, and we went to a, a nice restaurant. It was great. It was a family time that we spent, and actually, our daughter treated us to a, a family time. So we're in this nice restaurant, and the person that's serving us, um, think about all this logically. They want us to tip them and show our appreciation for their service. But at the moment, we're sitting at the table... Not, we didn't have a menu. Somebody showed us to our table. We sat down. The most powerful person in that place was the server. Because with, without the server, I couldn't get a menu. I couldn't order any food. I couldn't get my food. Right? So the one that was serving became the greatest <laughs> in, that, in that scenario. I want us to think about Jesus and how he served. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. But look at Ephesians 5, 20, 22. That big scripture that men have tended to use in the past to judge their wives. And it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. But look at in verse 21. Now, we need to talk about context, right? It's easy to pick a verse just wherever you find it and say, I like that verse because it says what I want to hear. But you need to, you need to consider the verse ahead and consider the verse afterwards. Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is speaking about family matters here. And he says in verse 21, submit to what? One another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Consider this fact that Ephesians 5.21 comes before Ephesians 5.22. So really, we should back up and start reading Ephesians 5.22 before we ever get to wives submit yourselves to your own husbands, right? Consider that we should submit to one another. When we submit to one another out of respect for Christ, and that's what that verse, verse actually says. I like it in one version. It says, um, in light or in view of all that Christ has done for you, submit to one another. Think about that. In light or in view, or let's consider what Jesus did for us. And then what he's asking us to do is not nearly as much as what he's done for us. But he's asking us to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. In the fear of the Lord. That's the King James, and they use in the fear of the Lord. Well, the fear of the Lord is understanding everything that Christ has done for us and then what he's asking us to do. Right? We submit to one another. We submit to one another. And so, we consider Jesus and what he's done for us. And by... Uh, 
are submitting to one another, we are adapting and considering someone else besides ourselves. And when we do that, we're creating an environment for peace. Every time you submit to one another and you say, it's not what I want. What's best in this situation? Peace comes. Peace comes. You know, uh, you guys were talking about children. That's one of the main things that parents teach their children. Is that when you're born into a family, there are other members in that family. Now, babies are needy from birth. They need, they need, they cry, they're hungry. They need their diaper changed. They're hungry. They need their diaper changed. They're hungry. They need their diaper. And that goes on for a while. And then they're able to talk and tell you what they need, right? And so everything revolves around little one, little baby, little baby. And your job as a parent is to bring them up to where their eyes are not on themselves, but the family around them, right? As we grow, we're aware of people in the family. And so we need to be aware. We need to make conscious decision and a conscious choice to look at others and consider others and commit to others. And when we're submitted and committed to one another, the most natural thing to do is to serve one another. Write down these three points. I don't think they're on your notes, but there's three things that we can do in order to consciously submit to one another. Number one is to think about each other. Think about, think about each other. Think about those in your immediate family, in your household. Put yourself in their shoes. If they're dealing with a, a tough job, if they're dealing with uh, physical symptoms that are coming against their body and, and they're sick and there's some illness there, think about what they're dealing with. The next thing to do is to pray. Not just pray for yourself that God would give you the grace to deal with these difficult people. <laughs> right? But ask the Lord what you can do. Number one, humble yourself. When, when you pray, say, Lord, you know, this is not about me. My family's not here to serve me. I'm here to serve my family. Help me see what they're dealing with. Help me to pray for them more effectively. And then ask the Lord what you can do. That's number three. Do something. So think, pray, and do. Do something. Do something for them that they didn't expect. Do something for them before they ask you to do it. Do something. Surprise them with something that they have been wanting. A little gift. L listen, a little $5 gift goes a long way. Doesn't have to be big. It's the thought, right? It's the... It's, it's that act of kindness. I know, you know, the world recognizes the power of an act of kindness. And sometimes as believers, we, without even thinking about it, unconsciously demand others to live at the level that we're living at. And that happens even in the family. Listen, we're not all at the same level maturity uh, spiritually, mature, mature level spiritually. We have to consider others. And then there's some other scriptures there that you should read. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of them. Here, Romans chapter 15 and verse 1, 1 through 3. We who are strong ought to bear the, the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Each one of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it's written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. Christ went first. He showed us how to love. And that means he thought of us before we were even a thought in anybody's mind, right? He saw us at our greatest need, and he made provision. He paid it forward. He loved us before we could love him. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interest of others. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3, it says, Let your gentleness, let your gentleness. In the King James, it uses the word meekness. I like to use the word kindness. Kindness, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, 22, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Everybody say kindness. kindness. Listen, kindness is hard to find in the world these days. But when you consider others, you respect others, guys, if you just hold the door open for somebody, it's an act of kindness that is powerful that will get people to think. Yesterday, I went into Chick-fil-A. And as I was going into Chick-fil-A, there was a Boy Scout opening the door for me. I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Just opening the door for me. Hmm. I went in, got the order, came out. There was another Boy Scout opening the other door for me to come out. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Is this something new that Chick-fil-A is doing? Hiring Boy Scouts to come and open the door for you. But listen, I've had Chick-fil-A employees open the door for me. We're so glad you're here. I'm like, wow. Most fast food restaurants you go to are like, hurry up, here's your food. Go, quick. Somebody's beeping the horn behind you, right? But these Boy Scouts made an impression on my mind. Why are they being so kind? I looked, looked over and I saw the table set up where they're selling things. Now, I don't mind them selling things, but they didn't mention one time, could you come over to my table and buy this stuff? And if I wasn't in such a hurry, I was thinking, what do I need on that table? Because that act of kindness, guys. Listen, this submission is, is huge. This, this principle of submission has the power to turn families around. It has the power to turn businesses around, churches around. This act of kindness, this powerful principle of thinking about others and not thinking about ourselves has the ability to help and heal and turn things around for you. So take those other scriptures and study them out this week. The, the third point in our notes is, is serving. So we're, t- we're talking about submission. We're talking about serving because it goes hand in hand. When, when we're submitted to one another, we naturally want to serve one another. First Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10 says, whatever you've received from God, whatever you've received from God, use it to serve others. 
the grace that God has given to you, that manifold grace, use it to serve. One, one version says if uh, um, each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various, various forms. When you study that verse out, think about it. It's, it's as simple as this. Whatever God has given to us, we give to others. Said in another couple of scriptures this way, freely you've received, freely give. God's grace is free. His power, and remember what we define grace as, his enablement and empowerment and, and our investment to benefit other people. All of the resources, all of the power, all of the strength that we have to benefit someone else. And so let's sum up this whole idea of serving as it relates to the family with this one phrase. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? What, what would it be like if uh, Monday afternoon, which is tomorrow afternoon, the husband comes home after fighting traffic for an hour and 15 minutes. If you work downtown Atlanta and there's an accident and it's raining tomorrow, it may take two hours to get home. I don't know. But if husband comes home, wife's been dealing with the kids and this and that and the other and all day long, how would the atmosphere change if the husband walked in instead of saying, where's my food? If he said, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? How can I serve you? What can I do to help? Or what would it be like, kids? And I'm give you young ones some advice here. Begin to help mom and dad. Just ask them. This is how you gain points, big points. Ask them. What can I do to help? Imagine what kind of atmosphere, how the atmosphere would change in your house. If you just say, listen, what can I do to help? Is there anything I can do to help? After you've done all the things that they've told you to do. Listen, here's another opportune time to do this is when somebody comes over to visit. If somebody comes to visit and these young ones, you know, there's no age limit in this. But teenager or a young child, when someone's visiting, for a kid to say, Hey, Mom, hey, Dad, is there anything I can do to help? Imagine the reaction on a visitor in your household. Wow, what are you teaching your kids? What's going on here? Help me out here. I need some help raising my children. How can we help? How can we help? It's so powerful. And it's so simple. I think we skip over it. How can we help? Let's go ahead and practice saying that. How can I help? How can I help? Because you know what? Everybody needs help. Moms are dealing with things. Dads are dealing with things. Children are dealing with things. We're living in a crazy time, guys. And people are dealing with things today that we have never dealt with before. There's just been a storm attack our coast, right? And the media builds it up. Well, part of that is to prepare people. 
But listen, the whole country feels the brunt of that storm, especially the ones that are sitting there tuning in to what's going on on the TV. Everyone is emotional right now, politically, with the climate, with with the storms come. Listen, everybody is dealing with extra stress. And as much as I pray, I don't I don't see that God expects us to or believes that we can pray away the trouble that's coming on the earth. Right? Jesus said, in this life, you'll have tribulation. But then he says something else. Be of good cheer because I've overcome it. Now, we shouldn't get attached to the tribulation, but we should be aware that it's there. We should be aware in 2018 that it has increased over the past few years. And as technology goes and increases... I think the stress and the pressure increases. Is this true? And so everybody, this is to my point, everybody's dealing with something. And everybody likes to hear, how can I help you? That's saying, I'm putting my eyes on you. I'm taking my eyes off of myself. What are you dealing with that I can help you with? How can I help you? This This is so... Uh, characteristic of somebody who submits themselves and who wants to serve. Jesus came. Look at Mark ten forty five. Jesus came to serve and not be served. Jesus came to alleviate pain and suffering. Right? By serving. He gave his life. He shed his blood. He laid his body down. So that we can, number one, experience eternal life with the Father forever. Number two, that we could have peace and joy that we didn't have. Because Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Right? And he said, these, these things will come on the earth, but rejoice. Because your redemption's drawing near. And so we have peace, we have joy because Jesus chose to serve. And Jesus is the head of the church because he chose to give his life away. Think about that. When the world says, you know, as a servant, you're way down here. You mean nothing. You are nothing. You have nothing. You're a servant. Jesus said, hey, the last will be first. He turned the world's kingdom upside down. The kingdom of heaven turns the world's kingdom upside down upside down and so when we serve we're doing what Jesus did he taught us how to give our life away and by giving our life away we're preferring one another and we're serving one another so what I'm saying today again is how can I help you submitting to each other means thinking about others in your family before thinking about yourself Serving your family means, what can I do for you? So simple, but it's so powerful. Would you agree? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.